This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Tuesday, January 17th. We've got periods of rain or drizzle. There is the risk of freezing rain this morning. The high eventually plus four degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, dicey weather conditions could slow the morning commute. Number two, OPSU Union filing a lawsuit against its leaders for alleged pilfering. Number three, threats force Doctors College to seal off their building to the public. Number four, Canadian house prices fell 12% last year. And number five, documenting Toronto's most congested intersections. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, hello there. I guess a great parlor game would actually be what band has all of the best opening riffs. And uh, the Rolling Stones would be in contention. I guess there's the Who and the Beatles. But anyway, a great way to start your morning. It's 5.07, one degree. And one of the major aspects of this morning is we're kind of trying to take a pulse, to be honest. And I'm looking forward to Lisa Morales keeping tabs on where problem areas are, if there are problem areas this morning with the weather. Because I never, well, not never, but I rarely have that much of an issue because I live fairly close to the lake, I guess. I'm at Young and St. Clair. When I hit the road this morning, did not have to clear anything off the car, just turned on the windshield wipers and the rear defroster and away we went. But there was the spickle spackle of freezing rain dancing off of the windshield as I drove in. Then again, when I sunk the brakes, there wasn't any uncertainty about things. But again, I can only account for everything south of St. Clair. As we have observed on many an occasion, everything changes. Honestly, from Bloor to St. Clair, from St. Clair to Eglinton, Eglinton to Lawrence, 401-407. So I'm going to rely on a lot of you this morning to flag to us if there are problem areas. And given that it's already one degree, and I appreciate that further north, it may be at the freezing mark, but the fact that it's one degree, we may be dodging a bullet. We'll keep our eyes on the situation. But then again, you may be hitting the road in Burlington and saying this is a living hell. So you can send us a text at 71010, and we can start dropping some pins on the map and identifying if there are problem areas this morning. Uh, We'll also follow along, should anybody announce that they've decided they're not sending out the school buses or anything else, we'll let you know. Should it become an issue at the airport, we'll also let you know about that as well. Um, Speaking of airports, and i got to dig into my my stack of stories this morning, Um, it's always going to be remarkable when there is a plane crash, even though I sometimes think, you know, like a plane goes down and three people are killed in... Virginia and everybody it's it's like you know number three item on the news and it's like how is this any different from a car that went over a cliff in uh, you know Timbuktu but when a small plane ends up crashed on the highway near Buttonville, that is definitely something remarkable. We put in a call to Frank Scarpitti, who's an old friend of the show. He's the mayor of Markham. He'll be uh, joining us a little later on to talk about what happened yesterday. But uh, there was a fellow driving on 16th Avenue 
and all of a sudden a plane lands in front of his SUV. He hits the brakes and swerves. Now, you know, you're ready for a few things, like somebody coming to an abrupt stop in front of you or somebody cutting you off at an intersection or blowing a light. I don't know that too many people are expecting to be traveling along a roadway and all of a sudden have a plane land in front of them. Piece of the plane ripped off during this emergency landing ended up underneath his car. I'm wondering how that insurance claim goes. <laughs> uh, what did you collide with? A plane. Okay. How did that happen? Um, there were two people apparently aboard the plane, which shot over the runway, went through a fence and landed on um, 16th Avenue, as we said, and they were okay. Didn't even need to be transported to the hospital. The paramedics responded to the scene, but everything was okay. But stu stuff like that is always going to be dramatic. I wrote to my friend Bill, who actually is a pilot and flies in and out of Buttonville. I said, that wasn't you, was it? And he wrote back and said, no. And clearly somebody got something terribly wrong. Did the uh, passengers get their luggage after all that? Yeah. Well, you know, the funniest thing about um, flying, it always sounds like this wonderful, wonderful luxury. And I guess it is because I've gone flying with Bill a few times. But um, we vacation together. And I inquired last year, I said, uh, what do you think about whether or not we could fly with you and we could, you know, pay for it? And he wrote back and said, you can only fly if you're traveling with less than 20 pounds of luggage. And I thought, well, the dog weighs 15 pounds. So I guess we're flying commercial. Thank you very much. But yeah, that's, um, it, it's not as, it may not be as luxurious as it seems. And certainly, I think the plane, I haven't seen the make, but it looked like a Piper. Um, those things are tiny. And yeah, you basically fly with a couple of t-shirts and a change of underwear. And that's about it. So uh, one of the stories we'll be talking about this morning, and this certainly requires a degree of explanation, but uh, OPSU, which is one of the province's major unions, is suing three of its former leaders, including Smokey Thomas. Even when I first got here to Ontario, I, I realized, like, in Quebec, union leaders are stars. So are gang leaders. But, you know, it's, it's a weird celebrity system in Quebec. But when I came to Ontario, certainly Warren Smokey Thomas was instantly on my radar, I guess for multiple reasons. Major union leader, big voice, um, kind of a salty talker. But he's actually on the list of union leaders, three former leaders who are accused of fleecing their own union for cash, uh, for auto expenses, for all kinds of um, stuff. So reading directly from the copy from uh, Christian Rushaway in the Toronto Star, uh, OPSU, one of the province's largest unions, is suing three former leaders, including longtime president Warren Smokey Thomas, for millions of dollars, alleging they withdrew $670,000 in cash from a strike fund with that explanation, received significant compensation atop their salaries, and had union-purchased vehicles transferred to themselves and their families. Uh, the other people named in this suit are Maurice Gabay and Eduardo Almeida. And, of course, it has to be said, none of this has been proven in court, but this is pretty serious stuff. And I know that as the, in the usual sort of proxy battle that some people will say, see, this is what's wrong with unions. No, this is what's wrong with any professional organization where people get carried away and start draining, allegedly, the, uh, the central funds. Now, one of the things we'll talk about this morning as well, because I think, 
you know, some people say, hey, dude, this happened yesterday. What's the big deal? Okay, but the debate over the future of healthcare, I think, is going to be, it's, this is an, an almost generational change that Doug Ford is bringing about. So this debate is going to rage for a while. But here's Doug Ford speaking yesterday at the press conference, which was noticeably held at a clinic, a private eye care clinic. Helping to reduce pre- and post-pandemic surgical backlogs. We're so grateful for all the work they do, keeping people and communities safe and healthy. The past several years also taught us, when it comes to your health, the health of all Ontarians, the status quo is no longer acceptable. We need to be bold, we need to be innovative, we need to be creative. We need to look to other provinces and countries to see what they do differently and borrow the best ideas. We also need to be clear, Ontarians will always access health care with their OHIP card, never their credit card. Yeah, all right. I don't know if that was designed by a PR firm, but it's a very effective phrase. We'll talk more about this as the show continues. All right, time for What Toronto is Talking About on this Tuesday, January the 17th with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good morning. Uh, I think we'll start with an update because, you know, I was talking about freezing rain, but Bill has now informed me that that warning has ended. So I guess the morning commute will be wet, but maybe not as messy. Yeah, I'll let Bill and Lisa do all the heavy lifting on this story, but it's worth noting at this early hour for people who are just waking up who haven't hit the roadways yet, there could be some issues, but it's going to be one of those things I think, you know, every 15 minutes will We'll do a little bit of an update and figure out whether or not anybody has run into slippery trouble. My own commute was easy, but I come in from very close by. Mm -hmm. I would imagine there are probably some areas that are going to find themselves a little on the slippy side this morning. Yeah, it's amazing how the weather will affect your drive no matter what. All right, John, uh, turning to this now, um, an Ontario public union uh, is suing three former executives over some financial improprieties. This is a very surprising situation because I think an awful lot of people are very well aware of Warren Smokey Thomas. He's been a very prominent union leader for many years. None of this has been proven in court, obviously. But OPSU is suing three former leaders, including Smokey Thomas, also Eduardo Almeida and Maurice Gebet. And what they're accused of is having fleeced the organization of about $675,000. Also transferring car leases, for example, or car ownership over to themselves. As I mentioned, none of this has yet been proven. But it does seem somewhat surprising because in an organization like a union, it's pretty hard to get away with uh, grease in the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't really hear about, you know, all that shady business with, with public unions. And this is pretty remarkable, John. Uh, a plane crashed on a busy road near Markham Airport. This, I guess it was trying to land at Buttonville Airport, but surprisingly and thankfully no one was injured. Nobody was injured. As a matter of fact, paramedics showed up on the scene and they didn't even have to transport the two people from the plane to hospital. But just imagine for a second you're driving along 16th Avenue and suddenly you end up colliding with a plane. That is exactly what happened to a fellow named Doug Palmer who was driving a black SUV on 16th Avenue. Fortunately, his car wasn't badly damaged, although a portion of the plane ended up underneath the vehicle. Um, it's not known exactly what went wrong, but the plane was on landing and blew through a fence and ended up on the street. Yeah, that's not something you expect every day while you're driving on the highway. Like, you might look out for a moose, but certainly not a plane landing yeah. near <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, and John, turning to this now, Ontario's College of Physicians and Surgeons, they're now limiting building access after receiving some threats. 
As a matter of fact, they have received as many as 200 threats a month. We don't know exactly the nature of the threats, but I have to think based on a lot of the communications that I get via email and social media whenever I talk about COVID and vaccines, that a lot of this has to do with the idea that doctors ganged up on us, the lockdown was the responsibility of big pharma, all that kind of stuff. But it is, you know, jarring to reflect on the idea of them having to close down public access. Basically, you will have to have an appointment or permission mm. to enter their headquarters in Toronto. They've been accused of everything from uh, being responsible for genocide, Nazism, their references to the Nuremberg Code, all this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. What a situation there. And uh, turning to this now, John, I'm sure many people uh, eager to know about this. Toronto's most congested intersections. Frankly, I was surprised that, you know, Allen and Eglinton wasn't on this list. Actually, the worst, I always say this every year, they come up with a list, Jennifer, of the worst roads in Toronto. And I always say the worst road is the one that you're on. And probably <laughs> the worst intersection is the one that you're in yeah. right now. But the worst intersection of Toronto for handing out a prize, Lakeshore Boulevard East and Lower Sherburne Street. Mm -hmm. And then, sad to report, maybe this will be alleviated when they come up with the Finch Crosstown. But um, number two, three, four, and five are all intersections involving. Finch. And this brings a little pressure, I guess, perhaps to the mayor in his, um, you know, insistence that he was going to fix road congestion. I honestly think what we need is a total platoon of people directing traffic so that you're not sitting at intersections waiting for a light to change when mm. there's actually no cross traffic. Exactly. Hey, John, I support you on that idea. Uh, very interesting stuff, especially because Toronto was just listed as the seventh most congested city, I think, in the world yes. or Canada. One of those things. Anyway, always a pleasure. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Catch him live, 507 to 9 a.m. And that is Jennifer Chang over at uh, CP24. Always a pleasure to appear alongside her and many of my friends over at CP24. And worth revisiting for a moment this um, story about congested intersections. And I don't know where we are on the anti-congestion campaign. And I know the mayor listens every morning, so I'll probably get a uh, um, an email or a text shortly, and I would welcome that. Because in my experience so far, I have not come across, aside from, you know, like if there's a blackout or something, I have not come across somebody directing traffic in Toronto. And something that drives me nuts and probably drives you nuts as well. Um, for example, I, I, I drive in the downtown core very limitedly. But yesterday, I was in a rush to get home because there's a 930 Monday meeting with all staff here at News Talk 1010. And I always take a gamble and think, okay, well, I'd rather take that meeting from home so that I am home when it's over rather than and wait a half hour, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going up university. And I don't know what they're building on the university. It may be part of the Crosstown or, or the Ontario line, but university goes down to one lane at one point. And then people do that really annoying thing where they keep on bypassing you in the lane that you're trying to get into. And then people behind you keep pulling into the lane you're trying to get into. And you have to sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait because nobody's going to let you in. Um, but all that to say, we got to an intersection. I'm already late. I'm going to be late for this meeting. And we're sitting there at a red light and there is nobody coming in the, in the other, you know, nobody needs for us to stop because there's no traffic coming. 
And in situations like that, I have two concerns. One would be I wish that maybe we would have some live people directing traffic who can make some choices. But I also wish the lights would be run in such a way that if nobody needs access to an intersection, then the people in the main roadway get priority and we get to keep going. I mean, you know, in the morning hours, I leave the house at 3.45 in the morning to come into the office and I get to the end of my side street to Avenue and I sit there sometimes for like three minutes. There's no traffic, but I really, I just don't want to get caught running a red light. So I just sit there. Stuff like that, I think in a major city with the tech that we have, we've got to start to address. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. How you doing so far this morning? Hopefully everybody's safe. Nobody is breaking the glass and pulling the lever, but it does seem that some people are experiencing some slippery conditions. And that's one of the things. I mean, we had a freezing rain warning for Toronto, and then they canceled that. But it's like, yeah, okay, what about everywhere else? Because I'm always mindful of the fact that we're a regional radio station, and there are people listening all over the place. So big deal. So for the city of Toronto, close to the lake, they've ended the freezing rain warning. Other people are getting into their cars and encountering some slippery conditions. I forget what day it was. But one day last week, I arrived home, and I put the car in park, and I turned it off, and I turned took my foot off the brake and we must have slid like a foot and a half backwards toward the street. It was that slippery. Uh, so yeah, there's always going to be, and in, that's in spite of the fact that, you know, I'm, well, four wheel drive doesn't apply if you put the car in park, but I do have winter tires, but that didn't help either. Boy, has technology ever changed over the years though. My parents used to talk about something called square tires and they lived out West back in the 1950s. And what would happen was, because tires were had a different composition, I guess, back then, um, you know, it's a little bit flat on the bottom, right? Uh, just owing to weight. But it would freeze if it was cold enough. So then you'd start driving the car, and it'd be like thumpa, 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 until eventually you worked through the fact that a portion of your tire was, was frozen. So people are going to be, as I was mentioning, talking about healthcare for a good long time. And I'm hoping that it's a very vivid debate. There, here's the issue. There are several public policy envelopes or categories, whatever you want to say, where people can be quite entrenched and they just, they don't want to hear about change or, and they don't want to consider any kind of adjustment. And when it comes to healthcare, there are people who are firmly entrenched who will insist that absolutely nothing can change. And I get, and you know, this is why I have a lot of patience for Merritt Stiles, new leader of the NDP and various others. I get that there always has to be concern about undoing Medicare, because it was an incredible historic struggle to get Medicare in the first place back in the day when we pulled it off. And doctors dug in and corporations dug in and all kinds of other special interests dug in. And ultimately, Tommy Douglas and various others got their way. And we ended up with a health care system where if you wake up with a pain this morning, you can go to a doctor, then go get a scan, then get your results, and then begin your treatment. And you won't pay a penny. While people in the United States. I think the last time I, I looked, 
the number one cause of financial distress and bankruptcies in the United States was health crises. So, you know, you come down with cancer and next thing you know, you're mortgaging, taking out a second mortgage on the house in order to pay for your chemo. We don't do that here. And that's great. However, we have issues. And I hear from you all the time. Yesterday morning when I was talking about uh, eye surgery, and that's what the premier decided to focus on, probably very intelligently, and who knows if some kind of marketing firm was involved. Um, but I was hearing from people saying, yeah, I need cataract surgery and my wait time is 18 months. You can't wait. What a tranche of your life are you giving up if you can't see properly for 18 months while you wait for surgery? So I, I'm willing to listen. And I also don't think, this is one of the things that I've come to, I, I will actually say, admire about Doug Ford. He actually seems to embrace that one thing that I always come back to, which is called best practices. What works, what doesn't work. In so many jurisdictions, we have people who are like, there must absolutely all healthcare must be privately supplied or all health, whatever. You have people who are philosophically entrenched to the point where they can't look at change. And then you have those who look at jurisdictions all over the world and say, what works and what doesn't work? Let's take the stuff that works. Let's reject the stuff that doesn't work. So I tend to trust Doug Ford maybe on the right path. That doesn't mean that we're not going to you know, surveil this and debate this. But it does mean that I don't think that this is some sort of a politically motivated attack on the public health care system. NDP leader Merritt Stiles, as mentioned, held a presser yesterday in the immediate wake of Doug Ford's press conference. And she was there to blow the whistle on any change. We in the NDP will fight for investment in our public system, for bringing workers back to the front lines and keeping them there by making sure they're paid fairly and treated with respect. Because if we don't stop him, Doug Ford is going to do more damage. He's going to sell off our public health care system the same way he sold off our green belt, and we're not going to let him get away with it. Okay, well, and... There is uh, certainly Doug Ford in his uh, changes to the green belt has sown the seeds of doubt about the integrity of his promises. But again, I think if we're, if we're going to use private eye clinics in order to expedite the surgery that so many Ontarians need, and if it is not as damaging to the public purse as some have warned, we talked to Michael Warner, the doctor, yesterday, uh, he was saying, well, listen, why are they paying more to a private clinic than they would pay to a hospital? Okay, good question. A lot of good questions have to be raised uh, moving forward. Now, Merritt Stiles, again, NDP leader, appeared on the Vashi Capellos show yesterday after her presser. And again, sounded the alarm that this is just the beginning. It's the thin edge of the wedge. You know, what we've seen in this last, in this big announcement, essentially, is um, is is the government following through on what we think their intention was all along, which is you create a crisis in the healthcare system, and then you know instead of actually uh, trying to fix that uh, problem and invest more and and do what all the experts are telling you to do, uh, these guys are going off and using this as an excuse and an opportunity to privatize our healthcare system. One last aspect in all of this to revisit the conversation we did have yesterday with Dr. Michael Warner from Michael Garin Hospital. Um, Yesterday, one of the things he talked about was the idea of upselling at 
private for-profit facilities. And that's an issue, but you can only be upsold on those things you agree to buy. I mean, if you ask for the Scotch guard on the wall-to-wall carpeting, then, you know, you're the person who made the choice. You know, once a patient gets into a private enterprise for a publicly funded service, there's the opportunity for that patient who doesn't have the information advantage over the clinic or in some cases the physician to be sold things that may or may not be medically necessary. And uh, I think that patients can be vulnerable in that circumstance. And again, worth considering, because my only experience with this has only been um, because I have a dog. And I remember going to a clinic once because I pulled a tick off of the dog and I wanted to show it to them and ask them what we needed to do about it. And they said, oh, we just need to give him a little injection. He's going to be fine. And then they said, but we need to do a test for heartworm. And I said, really? Why? And they said, well, if we don't, he could die. So $600 later... Not to um, criticize mechanics, but some uh, CD mechanics will say, we'll do that. You go in for an oil change, next thing you're coming out with $4,000 worth of transmission work. Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I'm, oddly enough, this may come as a huge surprise to you and many other people, Nick Mayorano. Um, I'm, I'm pretty good on mechanics because I owned a crap car. My grandmother gave me a 1966 Rambler, so I learned how to fix it myself. So... You know, you, you have to assume a certain degree of responsibility. When I took my car in for the tires to be changed for winter, they said, you know, do you want fluids changed? Do you want this, that? And I said, no, this car is completely fine. I need nothing. But no, you're right. The upsell uh, is, is quite common. And hopefully you have to be an advocate for yourself or you have to have somebody who will advocate for you when you're in the medical system. But then I'm also put to mind of, I've seen bills from the United States about people hospitalized, and it's astonishing. I mean, it just, it's like the grocery bill when you're doing two weeks shopping at Loblaws, and your individual aspirin administration is charged, and your catheter, and it just goes on and on and on. And I'm so glad we don't have that in the Canadian healthcare system. I mean, I guess that bill goes to the government, but at the very least, it doesn't go to you. Speaking of medical issues, but this is really more about urban development and neighborhoods, I want to talk in just a moment about an issue that's a big deal in my neighborhood and has hit the press today. And it is a building that is proposed to be demolished. And I'm not against all demolition and all new construction, but I am against the fact that in the city of Toronto at the moment, you can't walk a block without coming across one of those blue and white signs that say, there has been a proposal for this land. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, so before we get to a property development issue in my neighborhood, it's probably more important to get something that applies to every property owner listening. And that was in the five things you need to know. Canadian Real Estate Association says average house prices in Canada dropped 12% in 2022. So that's a 12% year-to-year drop. Unit sales fell more than 39% from December 2021. Here's why that's not the worst news in the world. There were years, lest we forget, there was one where property values year-to-year, actually, January to January, went up by 32%. So we've been on a rocket ride for a good long time. So nobody wants their home to be worth less. 
and especially I'm always I always think of some of our neighbors who are empty nesters and they're living in a big old house they've probably been in for 35 40 years and they probably think okay eventually we got to sell this place we got to pocket every last penny and we're going to go to a condo or a bungalow or or something like that so nobody wants the value of their house to go down but at the same time Property values year to year going down by 12% is not some sort of a crisis or implosion. And then you sort of come to, and, and we'll get into economic predictions in just a moment because the Bank of Canada came out with some guidance yesterday. But I don't know why everybody is so surprised. This is sort of like you're riding in a car and somebody sinks the brakes and you're like, whoa, we're slowing down. Yes, this is what we asked for because we wanted to get inflation under control. So the Bank of Canada raised interest rates and lo and behold, it makes it harder for some people to buy a house. And so eventually the sale price of houses goes down. In many ways though, the real estate market, and it's great that Tim Hudak is on the morning brief today at 620. He's with the Ontario Real Estate Association. So he'll have some perspective on all of this. But in many ways, the housing market has been buffered against a lot of impact. Because again, to come back to my neighbors who eventually are going to sell their house because they're going to have to move on, well, they're not going to do it this year. So that means that house is not on the market. And a lot of other people are not listing their homes and condos on the market because they want to maximize the price. So they want to wait out this sag in the market. And so then you get into supply and demand issues and it's kind of counterintuitive. But the fact of the matter is that when the price of real estate goes down, it's often padded against a worse decline in the price of real estate, and the market will, over the long term, endure. Okay, so back to this one property in my neighborhood. And you've heard me talk about this to the point where it may be getting tedious, but um, I'm not just being a NIMBY person. I get that I am very privileged to live in a single-family home close to the downtown. And, you know, if I have to defend that, I'll just tell you, I've been working since I was 18 years old. I worked hard. I saved my money. I earned a good living. And so, you know, I bought that house. So there we are. Um, but in my neighborhood, the number of buildings that are now proposed to be demolished and the number of buildings that have already been demolished is such that the whole nature of the neighborhood are, is being turned upside down. And Jerry Agar was picking a fight with me the other day and saying, you just don't like change. You just, you're a NIMBY. No, it's not like I'm being selfish about the neighborhood. It's that for the next 10 years, we are not going to have street level commerce, that my favorite restaurant is being demolished. My hardware store is being demolished. The card store is being demolished. Um, the seniors residence on the corner is being demolished. Two historic houses on another corner are being demolished. Another building um, on Young Street that is like, I don't know, maybe it was built in 1965, going to be demolished. One of the, and I can't even tell you what's in it because it's a state secret, but there is a reason why that building probably shouldn't be demolished. Um, you know, on and on and on it goes. And then you get to, and there's a petition about this, but I don't know if petitions ever go anywhere. But there is the Balmoral Medical Arts Facility on the corner of Balmoral and Young. And it is proposed to be demolished. And I have a few objections to that. One of which would certainly be that one of my regular restaurants, Capocaccia, is in the first floor. 
But it's a new building. I mean, this building, I'm going to have to look it up. I think it's maybe, maybe it's 40 years old. But also, it's a medical facility. So it's purpose-built, and it's filled with people who serve the medical needs of people in the neighborhood and those who I see every day when I'm walking the dog who arrive by wheel trans and taxi and Uber, and they're going to demolish it and put up what? Yet another condo tower, 41-story condo building. And I just, and I started work a year ago, and I just, the way I do a documentary is I go out and do a whole bunch of interviews, and then I see how they coalesce. And I just haven't been able to figure out what the the lens for this particular documentary is. But I already have a title, and it's called Too Fast, Too Furious. And I just think that we are so radically redeveloping this city with good intentions. we got to build new housing. We've got to densify around subway stations. But we're going so quickly that we're not going to know what we're going to have when it's done. And so I think that maybe we need to reconsider some of this stuff. So, yeah, the Balmoral Medical Arts Facility at uh, Young Street and Balmoral, I'm not necessarily convinced that it needs to be brought down or replaced with residential property. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.